Hey y'all, this is Grant. Life on Side B is a ministry of Posture Shift, a missiological ministry equipping church leaders and parents on LGBTQ inclusion and care. You can learn more at PostureShift.com. We also want to thank all our patrons who keep the podcast going and growing through their continued giving. If you love this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash life on side B. Now let's get into the episode. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Life on Side B. This is a very strange feeling for me because this is the first episode I've done in a while. Well, first of all, the first episode I've done in a while where I have the other person in the room with me. Yes. (laughs) And also, I'm not with any of the other co-hosts. I'm just by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have been super excited for this episode. We have with me Sarah Claire Smith. Hello, Sarah Claire. Hello. Uh, I know that your technical like title is not pastor, mm-hmm. but I still count you as one of my pastors. That's so nice. I count you as one of my pastors too. Oh, so I totally get that sentiment. <laughs> Sarah Claire is. Uh, what is your actual title at Prof? Soul Care Director. Soul Care Director, and also a counselor. The director correct? of the Soul Care. Soul Care. Um, yes. Yeah, so, but I'm also a licensed mental health counselor. Yeah. Um, working closely with our church to kind of integrate soul care and mental health into the life of our church and our congregation. I love it. Yeah. And you do it so well. Thank you. Yeah. I've been excited. So Sarah Claire is on staff at the church where I am a member at. And we did, how long ago did we do the retreat? February. February. So a few months ago. Yeah. What is it? It's April now. It's April now. And it'll be probably May when this comes out, something like that. So a few months ago, our church did a spiritual care retreat. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sarah Claire shared a message. And I was like, I was taking down notes. I have the notes in front of me. Yes, they're right here. They're right here. Beautifully organized, (laughs) some bullet points. I love it. I was like, Sarah Claire, I need you to come on. And talk about this with me. Yes. Um, I'm so excited for this. I'm so honored. When you asked me, I was like, yes. Yes. Like, but you know, like, <laughs> as fast as you can say yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, you know, as I was telling you, our theme this year is resilience. Mm-hmm. How do we be resilient in our faith? And honestly, we're having some conversations that I have just been waiting for years mm-hmm. for us to have. Yeah. Um, wow. And it is so freeing to be able to finally talk on this you know we just had an episode on emotional resilience mm-hmm. um with another counselor greg Pikin. shout out to greg we yes. love you um and i feel like so much of this just lays con- you know well into that but before we get into the content mm-hmm. and everything yes i want to ask you a question that we <clears throat> normally ask all of our guests mm-hmm. and this may feel a little bit weird because yeah. i know you're straight i am and cisgender yeah so but Still, I, we all have a journey of sexuality. So can you share a little bit about how you identify mm-hmm. and whatever you're up for sharing about how you've gotten to where you're at in your process of reconciling your sexuality and faith? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. When you asked me that earlier, I was like immediately my heart started pounding a little bit. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, because I'm because I am a majority um, cis heterosexual female um, and I'm white. So like just add that onto it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get asked this question. It's just not, it's very assumed. And I understand the privilege around that, that I don't ever really, not often do I have to explain my sexuality to anyone. Um, so I, there's a appreciation for this question and also an understanding of the audience. Um, so I'm 
happy to say that those things are true. And then the second part of it, um, how have I reconciled my faith with my sexuality? We kind of spoke a little bit before this as well, just the um, I am an unmarried um, 36-year-old female. And within church context, that is actually a little bit of a minority. And a, um, I grew up in the 90s, and I was born in 85, and then grew up in the height of purity culture. Um, and I've done some really extraordinary and needed work around dismantling that those messages in my own body, in my own heart, in my own life. And that has been um, quite something to reconcile, to say, like, the thing, the teachings that I was given around sex um, were possibly really damaging and actually not life-giving. Um, so it's been a journey. I've done a lot of counseling on my own sexuality, um, on my own observations of how being raised in the way I was has affected me. Um, I've been in many relationships, uh, like long-term kind of partnerships um, in my years. Uh, there, Probably in my 20s, I was a little more non-committal but then in you know late 20s and in my I'm engaged right now which is exciting but still not married so there's still like eyes on my sexuality probably and I do think we've progressed a lot as a culture and just the people I surround myself with but if I would have been engaged when I was 25 or 26 instead of 36 I feel like my virginity or my sexuality was such a conversation which was just such a burden and I remember being in the car with my mom one day and like her friends and like people in my church community and my friends like had some, they had some like stock in my virginity in a way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling my mom and like, it was a conversation like that my mom had with other people and she was yeah. like proud. But I remember being in the car with her, we were in a Volvo and there was khaki interior. <laughs> it's like what I'm remembering right now. Um, and I just said, mom, I don't think I need to have my sexuality be a conversation right now with you anymore. Mm. It just didn't feel safe. It didn't feel right. And it didn't feel honoring, especially because I was taking different liberties with myself sexually, I think at the time. So um, I, my reconciliation with my sexuality and my faith has come much more a, apart from dogma and rules and religion and the tenets around purity culture and more a like kind of personal journey with me and Christ and me and the spirit and me and health. And I think health also and wholeheartedness and like whole living has um, become more connected to what the spirit is leading us into or like language around that than like what it should have been or what it was when I was younger. Cause I think that's what Christ wants for us is like health and wholeness, you know? Yeah. So that's a little bit of my journey, but I'm still I'm still reconciling. I think we I will be maybe. Yeah. Even into marriage or into whatever, you know. It's so funny how yeah, 100%. I I'm so glad that you shared all of this because um I think that there's many ways that those of us who are sexual minorities can many times think that and obviously there are ways that we process our sexuality that's mm-hmm. very different than all yeah, straight people. Absolutely. But there are ways that it just, it affects all of us. Yes. And especially the moment that you fall outside of the narrative mm-hmm. and the norm, Yep. it just becomes a whole bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Um, even just, I'm sure for you, like the moment that yeah. people just out of natural conversation ask, so when are you getting married? Mm-hmm. And these things, and it just mm. all becomes focused yes. around this conversation of yes. sexuality yes. as if that is the prominent part 
And it's just like, what What do we I know, do with this? But that, has, that is truly how we were programmed. I was programmed. Mm. Marriage, husband, kids, that is, the, that is the height of success as a Christian person. Yeah. And so I've had to dismantle so much of that and be like, mm. who, what? How yeah. is that what, you know, my sexuality essentially mm-hmm. being, yeah. So it's not, in, it's not the same, but it, there's a color that, um, yeah. that blends a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Ugh. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. To get into a bit more of the conversation mm-hmm. on this whole thing, um, when you did the talk at our church's retreat, you mm-hmm. talked about listening to your own story. And yes. I've heard you talk about this a little bit. Talk about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what can you share a little bit mm-hmm. about what that means? Yeah. How do you go about it? Like mm-hmm. what what do you mean by listening to our own stories? Yes. It is something that I talk so much about that even when I go to answer that question right now, I'm like, okay, how do I articulate this well so that it can be heard and understood? Um, But I'll start with last night I was um, in church listening to one of our pastors, Drew, um, speak on a chapter in Luke, and I was struck by his ability to see himself and his story in the story of Christ and the story of Jesus even journeying into Jerusalem and um, his own personal experience being a human being. And there is a stark difference between, I, I believe, between those of us who have taken the time to understand the context um, that we were raised in, the content that was present, even like I just spoke about like me being raised in the 90s in the mm-hmm. high of evangelical purity culture. That's something that I've had to find language around and have understanding and really listen to how that affected me, how that's showing up in my life today. So as a kind of, uh, I'm a counselor, but I'm also a very trauma-focused counselor. Mm-hmm. So much of what we experience today in our lives is affected by the content and the context and which came before right now. So being able to understand our story and listen to our story um, really means, do I know where I came from? And do I, am I aware of how I'm showing up today? Because all of us have a story. You know, Mm -hmm. if I asked you, where are you from, Josh? You know, what, what was it like growing up in your family? Like, what did you love? What hurt you? Who hurt you? Who led you? Who inspired you? All of these things, all of those answers would be a part of you understanding your story. Um, a lot of times in church contexts, we are very much invited into understanding and listening to the story of God, but we um, very much throw out listening to our own story. Um, and as a trauma therapist who understands that trauma lives in our bodies and in our nervous systems and like the way we respond to other human beings and to stimuli outside of ourselves, it's really important to be self-aware and how we're showing up and what's being brought up for us. So in our church and in many other um, spiritual contexts, I do believe people are starting to really ask this question, like, who are you? Who, what made you the way you are? A lot of times it's the same thing that someone will ask you when you go into therapy for the first time. It's like, tell me about your parents, you know? And it's (laughs) like, oh, there's just so much gold and like important information in the stories that have come before us today. So if we're able to see each other, even like I'm looking at you right now, see like chapters and chapters and chapters of Josh's before now um, and being able to honor those those people and those versions of ourselves, 
um, and what they experienced because they're a part of who you are today. So I think that we have a deep responsibility as like humans and then a one step further as like Christian spiritualists to um, to really understand ourselves and to be responsible for how we're showing up. And I think that happens through listening to ourselves, to each other, and to God. So we talk a lot about that yeah. around here um, at our church. And then even in my practice and just in my life, it's like integrated all through. Um, so listening is a really powerful, um, it's a powerful act. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I love how obviously it's something that all of us do. And I love that you brought up the connection, especially with trauma, mm-hmm. because if there's one thing that a lot of queer people mm-hmm. <laughs> have oh in my common, gosh, it's trauma, especially yes. spiritual trauma. Oh my gosh. And there was one thing that I've heard, like I heard you say mm-hmm. um, when you were talking before about what if we didn't hate this part of ourselves, mm-hmm. but we saw it as a little child that has, has been neglected mm-hmm. and listening to that child uh-huh. and being able to look at this part of our, and I was like, wow, it, it just really impacted me mm-hmm. because there's so many times, I think, especially, especially when you've gone through trauma mm-hmm. that you just want to not touch that area of yourself and you want to compartmentalize and just shut the door there. That's right. But being able to open the door and see that part of yourself as someone to listen to and a child, just to be Mm -hmm. like, where, where is this part of me at? And how do I hear myself Mm -hmm. speak in this way? of what I need mm-hmm. and care for this, you know, young, in many ways, younger, younger se- part, part of me. Of me. Yeah. Cause we've been, we talked in our last episode about how I think this kind of connects to, there's a, there's a whole thing of second adolescence that mm-hmm. happens mm-hmm. in, I mean, well, a lot of people, but especially with queer people yes. where because we didn't go through, you didn't get that chance. Yeah. You didn't get that chance <gasps> mm-hmm. in adolescence to live out your sexuality to be authentic, yeah. and to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And so the moment you open up and you come out, then it's like, oh, wow, here's all of this. Yeah. That's just happening. Yeah. And I don't know what to do with it. Wow. And so even what you shared there, which, by the way, you guys, you might hear the air conditioner in the background. Yep, we're in an old church building. <laughs> we are in an old oh, church boy. building. So you are on this journey with us. Yes. Um, I, I feel like that's been so helpful for me mm-hmm. of, like, even just, yeah, putting that into, like, the, the, the queer experience yep. of, Listening to that part of myself. Wow. Okay. All of this has come up because the door was closed on it. Absolutely. Silenced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And so trauma is translated in, I think it's Latin or maybe, yeah, to wound. It's a wound. So I'm like, and I mean, I don't even have to ask you to imagine because that was your experience. But like for straight people, I'm like, imagine not being able to be an authentic adolescent to have something that you cannot share with someone. And I think a lot like that can be generalized to a lot of people, but in that specific way around your sexuality, that this is silenced, that this is not welcome, that this has to be in a closet closed. Mm -hmm. That is a wound on your soul, on your spirit. And if we want to speak neurobiologically on your brain, because it tells you, you have to um, disintegrate, like disintegrate, like separate mm-hmm. this from yourself and then from others. So it creates such a trauma wound um, that, that, yeah, second yeah. adolescence makes sense. Because then once you decide I am free to be this, 
to experience this, to say who I am, to like voice things I've felt, then you have a whole nother like closet to look at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I was actually just reading, (laughs) I, I was, I've just started reading Tenderness by Eve Tushnet. Also shout out to Eve Tushnet. Mm. Love you. Um, and she was even talking about in her book, she became a Christian later on in, I, I think, 19 years old. And um, she was sharing in the introduction, which is where I'm literally at. I'm literally at the <laughs> beginning of this book um, about how she didn't have the the experience of growing up gay in the mm, church, mm-hmm. but then coming into the church later. And it's like, no matter if you've been into the church in, I don't know two years yeah. more you're going to experience you can you can easily experience some of the hurt yeah. that happens but yes. so regardless of where a person's at I, I just want to put that out there because mm-hmm. there might be people who haven't grown up in the church but then mm-hmm. the moment you get into the church yeah, right, right. then you experience this what are some practical steps that you would say mm-hmm. looks like to listen to your own story mm-hmm. um the first thing that's coming up i'm sure something else will come up but yeah. um in order to listen in the past, we almost have to listen to what's to, we have to be really attentive to what's coming up today. So if I'm having a conversation with you and you say something and my body starts to be activated in some way, triggered is a word I'm trying to move away from yeah. right now, but activated or awakened or like, Ooh, I'm feeling a thing. Um, that's always good information. So if I'm, if I come into a church building and my heart starts to race, and I see somebody saying something, or someone uses language that was used on me that was hurt, um, hurtful, and I start to respond now, there's likely a story connected to that, right? So I've had, I know, I'm like a part of, I feel like a whole generation of deconstructing, reconstructing people trying to (laughs) feel safe and resilient in their faith through very large challenges. So I think People who, like, maybe my mom can go into any church and she's like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, her body does nothing. That's cool information. She maybe has never had church hurt that she knows about. You know? yeah. um, but a lot of us do. So when when we're somewhere or, like, if I'm having a conversation with my dad about politics and my body literally goes into, like, I'm sweating, my heart's pounding, and I'm saying, like, really – all or nothing like black and white like arguments and we become fox news and cnn like there's a there's a trauma story there so then i get to go back and be like what did that what is the little girl inside of me what does she need why is she feeling so activated by my dad's argument with me probably because she feels like he's not listening to her he doesn't he feels like he she he he thinks she's stupid or something which is maybe something i felt earlier in my life you know what i'm saying so it's like how to be curious and aware of what what bubbles up in our daily experiences and then be curious about what that's connected to where that started what that little girl needed um that's kind of a practical thing. So I know that, and even like, I want to go back for a second to, I don't know what you guys talked about as much with emotional resilience, but it does take a very um, resilient person to look at the pain and to touch the pain of a story that has been put somewhere else. You know, like it's, it's not easy to be like, yeah, sure. I'm going to go talk about my drama with somebody or I'm going to like share that. I'm going to feel that in my body because a lot of times we have to synthesize or we have to metabolize the pain before it can become gold Yeah. or like something that's not just hurting us, but something that can be used for us. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. That 100% makes sense because that even like connects to something that I've gone through Mm -hmm. where, you know with my work I'll do trainings for churches mm-hmm. on LGBT inclusion. Yeah. And it's mm. even something that um Bill 
the president of posture shift and I have had to sometimes navigate because of my experience in conversion therapy. Oh my gosh. When a pastor might ask from a very genuine place mm-hmm. a question about conversion therapy. Sure. It will bring up Send a lot so in much me. stuff in your and, body. And sometimes I, I I love what you're saying because I've had sometimes an initial uh, like an initial thing to react at the pastor. Absolutely, of course, of course you have because you have a nervous system, yes. <laughs> like the and, rest of us. And obviously, it just causes more problems, especially yeah. when like mm-hmm. I can't even see what is actually going on with the pastor and that question. Yes, yes. And yes, so being yes, yes. able to have Bill be aware that when those questions come up, he has to handle them, mm. and I have to step back. Yes. And say, okay, what's happening? Mm-hmm. What's going on? What do I need? What's what do little I me need? need? Yeah, and mm-hmm. and I think that sometimes, like for all of us, there can be initial response to react at the other person who brought the trigger mm-hmm. when it may not necessarily be Mm-mm. out of malintent right or anything like that but it can be something of mm-hmm. just stopping in that moment to look inside and it's so hard it's so hard because it's easier to be like it's his fault yeah but that and that's okay as a first mm-hmm. reaction but yeah. clearly you've done work like you yeah. know your, you know your own story around conversion therapy enough to be able to notice i had this reaction i know what this is connected to and then you I've get, yelled at enough pastors <laughs> yeah that's so good but then you get to be responsible for how you care for yourself and then how you ask your community like mm-hmm. bill to care for you yeah. and that to be a part of your team yeah. but that is a perfect example cuz mm-hmm. clearly it's not like Um, And this is a thing we say a lot in trauma therapy. It's like, this is not that. Mm -hmm. Meaning this experience you're having right now with this man asking you probably a very basic question um, is not what happened to you back then. Mm -hmm. But our bodies forget that. Our bodies are very like, um, we're like lizard brain people Mm -hmm. still in there. And we have nervous systems that go into fight, flight, freeze. Mm -hmm. And then a few other things. reactions that now we're just naming because it's not just I want to leave or I want to punch you or I can't speak but it's like maybe I want to please you or maybe I want to like make this better and appease you yeah um but all of those reactions are just our nervous system trying to keep us safe Mm -hmm. so when someone asks a question about conversion therapy and you sense that they do not understand what you've experienced or the hurt that it causes you or like the destruction um then they're not, you know, they don't know that, but you have to know that for you so that you know then how to care for whatever reaction comes. Mm-hmm. And I think that like befriending our nervous systems and listening to our nervous systems and making it about our ability to care for ourselves mm-hmm. and protect mm-hmm. ourselves and like get a community that can do that for us instead of about that guy at that church, yeah. you know, because then it does become not effective. Mm-hmm. Because if you could be regulated, notice, oh, hey, that's coming up. That's from behind. That's from the past. This moment is not that. Then you can move towards him in love and compassion yeah. and actually probably help him yeah. understand his story around mm-hmm. his, like, whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. Because many times, I like, the first time that ever happened, I reacted very bad. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just a really bad situation. Yeah. Bill could Bill could sense mm. How, where I was coming from in my answer. Yeah. We talked about it afterwards. Mm. And even the pastor then came up to me because he could obviously see that I was um, like flustered. not in a good place yeah. and flustered yeah. and just apologized and was like, hey, that was not mm. really my question. Yeah. Like, I just wanted you to say I was like, I was not trying to argue for conversion yeah. therapy or something. I just wanted to know. Genuinely curious. Yeah. Um, And it then took me a moment. Like I had to step away. Oh, for sure. But yeah, it's that. Good for you. That. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I I think that there's just so much to that 
mm-hmm. aspect of yeah, what do I need in that moment? Mm-hmm. Also, what do, what is this this response saying that I yeah. need? Yeah. But and what story is connected to this response? Exactly. That's listening to your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think then also with that kind of this kind of goes into another question mm-hmm. that I was asking about how do we sit with people or make mm-hmm. space for people to mm-hmm. process? It's like being Bill in that situation. Him be when we know people well enough that we can see the reactions, mm-hmm. the way that Bill came in, stepped in, answered the question, mm. you know, tried to mm-hmm. fall in there. And then us having that conversation afterwards. Beautiful. And I, I, I think there's so much of both being that person in other people's lives where you can tell when the reaction is happening. Mm-hmm. and being Because like, he knows your story. Mm-hmm. Because he's been able to listen to you because you've listened to yourself. Like it's so circular. I have chills when I say that because there's something so true about it. So like when we're in a community with other people who are curious about themselves and their story and not in a, and even as I say this, I feel like I need to say this next thing, which I'm annoyed that I feel like I need to say this, but I'm going to say it just to honor the girl in me who is shamed for doing this type of work in the church. And then anybody else who might think that this is the term is navel gazing. Mm. Have you heard that? No, I haven't. Okay. So it's kind of like this idea that when we are Christians and we like, do this self-awareness work and we like go to therapy and we like talk about our trauma that we're like navel gazing, Mm -hmm. meaning we're like looking into ourselves instead of looking out or up. But like the look inside is so vital to being able to look out and to look up. Like it is, I just think it's so important. So um, I can't now remember what came from, but like your ability to look at your story to then communicate to someone that is in your community that you're working closely with in a vulnerable way, probably. And then for him to get it and then for them, him to be able to see you in a moment of activation and then care for you. It doesn't mean that you're not responsible for your own like reactions, but it just creates support system, a safe like container for being human. And that is the body. Yeah. I think that would be, what if that was how the body of Christ behaved, mm. you know? So we, yes. How do you hold space for people? You're curious with them. If Bill would have been like, Josh, what is wrong with you? Like, what are you doing? You know, instead of like, Hey, cool. got this move in and then be curious with you later. Like mm-hmm. those are two very different responses. Yeah. And the curious, compassionate response is so much more effective for human flourishing and relationship and change to happen than a shaming, you know, shut it down yeah. Yeah. response. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and then that also leads me to another question in mm-hmm. this because this is absolutely like this is what we're developing at Prof. You yeah. know, like this yeah. community of people that listen to their own stories and therefore can mm-hmm. listen to other people's stories. Exactly. Um, and I know that there's people listening who are like, that sounds great. I have no place around me yes. to find that. Yes. Let it like at all, let alone mm-hmm. in a in a church context. In a church context. Yeah. So what would be mm. thoughts for people that might be want to start that process and would love to have people around them in that way, but might be in the middle, I don't know, whatever their yeah, context like isolated. situation is mm-hmm. isolated in that. Mm. I mean, I would first just feel like I need to take a deep breath for those people, you know? Yeah. Because that is a, it's very lonely. It can be very lonely to like know that you need that and not have it or not know where to go to have it. Um, but the thing that comes up when then I say that, I'm like, the first step is to create that safe container with self. Mm. 
mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I literally, I feel like every session I do with every client I have, we are talking about self-compassion and self-friendship mm-hmm. because if we can't be doing that for ourselves, then how are we going to invite someone else to do it for us? Or how yeah. are we going to practice doing it for someone else? Yeah. So when we, and, and it, as like believer people too, if we believe we have that friendship with God, like divine, then there is a little community there to start with. Mm-hmm. So to say like, okay, well, if I don't have people to share my story with right now, maybe I do that work to, to get curious about it on my own. Yeah. Maybe I do find a therapist or some sort of coach or therapeutic support to start to do that work with. Yeah. Um, and then look for the signs with other people. Like when I share this little information about myself, do these people move closer to me in a way that feels safe or do they move away from me in a way that feels judgmental or shaming? Um, and you know, building from there, but it is, it's very vulnerable, which is our favorite word. Um, it's very vulnerable to do this work. So if you even know, cause I'm sure before you came into our community, you were, I remember you were kind of like, testing out different communities for yourself to find that safety. You were literally like going into a church. How does my nervous system feel talking to leadership? How does my nervous system feel? Maybe that's not what the thought was, but that's essentially what you're doing. Yeah. That's exactly why it was happening. Yeah. Cause I had decided, I was like, I'm going to take the time to decide. Which I just love and respect that you did that so much. Yeah. What, like, what is the best? And yeah, it happened Mm -hmm. multiple times where I would enter church and be like, yeah, no, 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 Mm -hmm. not at all. And even when I like came to Prov, I remember you were one of the first people that I like sat down with Uh and being like, okay, yeah, I think that this is good. Mm -hmm. Um, But But then taking that time Mm -hmm. to build trust. Yes. Mm -hmm. To build relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that is so wise because we can be like, yeah, we're a safe community. Like we're trustworthy, whatever. Your nervous system doesn't know that. Just because mm-hmm. I tell you that your nervous system hasn't experienced that. Yeah. Um, so I love that you took the time. And I think everyone should in a way. When I first moved here, I kind of jumped in because I was like, I need friends. <laughs> I want people who like believe in this Jesus stuff, but like aren't weird. And I was, uh, it was like hard for me to like know who was safe. But when I found the prop people, I was like, okay, cool. Great. Yes. Let's go. Um, but it also, I think there is a very deep wisdom and just kind of saying like, I've been hurt enough and I've been not safe enough that I'm going to take the time. So yeah. I really respect that you did that. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it was just, it was one of those things I had done enough where I jumped into a community mm-hmm. and then found that it wasn't yeah. like great right. later on. Yeah. And I was like, no, I want to like, I want to be committed to a community. And I yeah. understand that no community is perfect. That's exactly right. I'm glad you said that. Cause I was yeah. going to say that too. And your experience of even another church feeling the like alert, not safe, not mm-hmm. safe. Doesn't mean it's not safe for somebody else, Yeah. but it wasn't safe for you. Yeah. Exactly. Which is good information. Yeah. And that's why we need lots of churches, but we do need churches to be, pursuing health and like you know understanding their story yeah i I think for me it was just so good to write out like write out what are the most important things for me Mm -hmm. in a community what are um like the things i would love but okay if it's not there yeah and just what are the things that are not important Mm -hmm. and being able to just sit there and go okay how Mm -hmm. how can i go about this um and begin to cultivate that and know that it's not going to be cultivated in a, in a minute, in a year, like yeah. I've still only been in the community for less than two, two years, less than two years for sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe less than even, a, no, more than a year. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so it's still developing. It's yes. still yeah. building trust. Yeah. It's still all of that. Um, and allowing for those moments where even I get triggered here 
Yes. Like, it, it can, it, it's a lot like someone, yes. I remember the first time someone in our church told me, hey, Josh, if you feel weird, it's okay to like move out of that context. Yes. Even in our own church. Yes. And it doesn't mean something's bad about our church. As you said, it just means that there's something that I need to mm-hmm. process. That's right. And maybe getting out of that context mm-hmm. will then help me move back in yes. in a healthy way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and not being afraid to like honor that. Yeah. And tell someone like, mm-hmm. hey, I was activated. I yeah. like, yeah. And then having relationship like you and I had one moment. Oh, you know? yes. Yes. Ugh. Do you want to speak about that? We don't have to. Yeah. So one of the things that really um, was good, we actually, it was at the retreat. It was at the retreat. Yeah. It was very much mm-hmm. at the retreat. I had gotten placed in a group, mm-hmm. in a small group, and it, it felt off to me. Mm-hmm. It felt like it. It could, I knew because I knew the culture of our church. I knew you. Yeah. I, I knew it wasn't intentional. Yep. But I just felt very isolated mm-hmm. by the group yep. that I had been placed in. And I had brought it up to someone. They're like, Bring, ask Sarah Claire just yep. for the fact of just being able to know. Yes. And so I remember I pulled you aside mm-hmm. and I was like, and I was shocked yes. by, I the just emotion. started crying. Yeah. Yeah, your body was having a release as you were honoring the truth that was in you. Yeah, yeah. and I was like, it was beautiful. wow, I don't know. I, I had no idea all of this was underneath there. Yeah. And I was like, I already know that this is not the truth. Mm-hmm. I just need to be confirmed yeah. Yeah. that the reason I was put in this group mm-hmm. was not intentional. Yes. Or like what this happened was not intentional. Mm-hmm. And then you even acknowledging like, no, there was no, no intentionality. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But your courage to be curious about what emotions was coming up for you to honor it enough to speak it to a friend that wasn't me for them to be healthy enough to say, instead of just kind of like shit talk us or something, they were like, no, bring it to her. Mm -hmm. You trusting me enough to say like, Oh yeah, she could hear this and hold this with me and not personalize it and probably just give me the truth. Mm -hmm. Then us, me being able to be able to confirm, to validate your feeling and confirm. Yeah, that's totally was not (laughs) even on my brain. Um, And then for us to like restore. Yeah. That is like, beautiful Mm. and that takes a couple different people in that scenario to kind of be on the journey of being curious with our own stuff yeah you know yeah which is just really beautiful like fester fester and be Mm -hmm. underneath the surface um you know it's it's even just like my house like we've been cultivating just this rhythm of monthly time Mm -hmm. of asking questions um and asking is there anything unresolved Mm -hmm. is there any like what what do we appreciate that's happening in the other person what do we need how can we support the other people and even having this monthly time that we've started of being able to allow for this time of seeing what we need if there's anything underneath the surface that needs to be brought up and then having that time where you already know it's going to be Mm -hmm. like, like you don't have to make the space the space is already there wow to be able to do that yeah um, but you're right. It takes it takes multiple people mm-hmm. on that journey. Doing the work. Yeah. And committed to it. Mm-hmm. The intentionality in which you live by, Josh, is very, like, notable to me right now. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, I, and I think it's I think it's because, like, connected to our whole theme of resilience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's been something that I went through. I've gone through a few different times where being on the edge of just it yep. not, it all falling apart. Yeah. Mm. And... Like at least one time, which I plan to share later on in the season, when it all fell apart Mm -hmm. and realizing I have to get intentional or else it's not going to work long term. Yeah. It's just especially being in ministry, Mm. like it's just not going to work. Nope. 
if I don't get intentional about myself and what I need. Yes. And um, it's one of the things where if any of you are listening and you're like, Josh doesn't text me as much as he used to. It's part of that. I I have just realized like I don't have the capacity. Boundaries. Yeah. Structure. And I I text when I can. I do this when I can. Trying to be intentional about like the the Mm. house that I live in and like us trying to build a house Mm -hmm. and a family in this way and being like, this is where my commitment is. And then to our church Mm -hmm. and like, how do I pour into this context and make this and do the work in myself so I can Mm. be a healthy agent in that. It's like almost like out of survival, but then it's turned into this like very thriving part of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it because like, well, I hate that for me, I really think that I would not be able to survive in a Christian context without that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone. I don't can. know how they. I don't know how people do. Yeah, but yeah. But I, I think especially as a queer person, I just knew no. I wasn't going to survive even no. a few years. You're so right. Um, the need for community and for structure is more mm-hmm. in that in your experience. I think. Yeah. Which is just not fair. Well, I think it's even <laughs> in the single just, context in yeah, general. Yeah. No, for sure. Because um, you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. There's so many elements to all of it. I know. Uh, but well, us, even us being able to understand that yeah. is a part of us listening to the story, mm-hmm. you know, and like then taking responsibility for it and like saying yeah. like, this is it. This is, it's good. Yeah. I'm loving this conversation. Already. I know. Um, okay. Moving kind of along in this, there was something else you had brought up that uh, I loved. I have talked about it multiple times ever mm-hmm. since. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this concept of clean pain and dirty pain. Mm-hmm. Can you explain those? I can. I cannot take credit for them. So I will mm-hmm. tell you where this came to my yeah. brain from, um, from a man named Resma Menachem. Okay. And he is an author and a therapist and an activist and a uh, racial uh, educator. He wrote a book. I have it right here. I'll share the details of yeah. this book in the show notes. It's beautiful. So it's called My Grandmother's Hands. Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies. So he... Um, he talks about trauma from a very neurobiological, um, generational, um, therapeutic way. And yes, it is. He, most of his research and his experience as a man of color is um, talking about racialized trauma. But, you know, we just take it and say, like, trauma is trauma and all of our bodies have it in some way or another. So from this book, um, one of the concepts that he writes about is clean pain, dirty pain. And I'm going to read... Um, I'm going to read some a quote from him so that we just get it. I'm not paraphrasing. <laughs> and then we can open it up and let it breathe. So it says, clean pain is the pain that mends and can build our capacity for growth. Dirty pain is the pain of avoidance, blame, and denial. When we respond from our wounded parts, we become cruel, violent, or physically and emotionally run away. And then we experience this dirty pain. And then that pain can create more of that pain for others. All of this suggests that one of the best things we can do, not only for ourselves, but also for our children, our grandchildren, our communities, is to metabolize our pain and heal our trauma. When we heal, we make room for growth in our nervous systems. We have a better chance of spreading our emotional health to our descendants via healthy DNA expression. In contrast, when we don't address our trauma, we may pass it on along with fear, constriction, and dirty pain. So basically, the way to paraphrase that for this moment is clean pain is pain that's been looked at, pain that's been acknowledged, pain that's been felt even by the body 
who is experiencing it. Um, dirty pain is the pain that we put in the closet and we shut the door and we say, no, we're not going to look at that. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to let anyone in with us with that. We're not going to acknowledge that. Or maybe dirty pain can also be like, we're going to acknowledge it, but we're just going to talk about it all the time without actually processing it, which I think is very common because it's easy to blame to kind of like name what happened without, um, really caring for what happened. Um, if that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think there's so many things in there. Um, I mean, even just one of the things that stands out to me in it is the very fact that I think sometimes we think that by processing pain, the, mm-hmm. by processing pain that we're going to get rid of the pain. Right. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, you don't get rid of the pain, but you can clean it. Yeah. I almost think of it in this chaotic organized way mm-hmm. of being able to organize it into an intent, into a understanding um but yeah and i love even the distinction you made even when we like can talk about it a lot but then we're not processing yeah the distinction between talking about it and processing yes because we can talk about it but that might not be vulnerable for us Mm -hmm. but really feeling it acknowledging it like letting it move us to tears or to change or to heal um that's yeah so and i really at retreat tried to make a a point around it's not that it goes away, like you just said. And I am an Enneagram 7. And if you don't know about the Enneagram, please do some research on the Enneagram because it's a part of helping to understand your story. Yes. It's a wonderful tool for like doing that type of work. But I'm an Enneagram 7. So I am pain avoidant. Mm. I would love to the world to live in like magical butterflies and mm. rainbows like and just like pain-free, yeah. which is like part of, honestly, if we want to be really honest, why I became a therapist because I was like, well, I will just help everyone erase their pain. Mm. I will just heal my own pain and I will make sure no one else has pain again. <laughs> but that's like not actually the flip side is that I actually just invite people to feel their pain all the time, which is... Yeah. hysterical um but for me and my own self like I would rather avoid stuff I would rather not talk about it I would rather like do everything I can to just like not be with it but then once I learned that about myself and I was like oh okay maybe I do need to like attend to this then I go to this other extreme where I'm like I'm gonna go to every therapist I'm gonna go to every energy healer I'm gonna go to every church service I'm gonna do Mm. I'm gonna journal every day I'm gonna do EMDR I'm gonna like do everything that will only for the sake of like being pain-free in a way so it's all still trying to be pain avoidant or trying to like synthesize the pain but what I think I've truly learned and what I see in like the bodies and the lives of my loved ones and my clients is that we have to acknowledge it let it move us towards healing and health and then it's clean pain but it's still pain it's still pain like that story is never going to not be your story yeah and but that's the difference and so the dirty pain is you know the opposite when yeah. we're just not attending at all and there is there are giant repercussions for that type of avoidance mm-hmm. in our lives in the church's life in uh relationships life yeah you know yeah yeah 100 I, and i see that like i see it in my own life like two examples in my life is um i don't know if i like well there's been two family hurts that I have experienced. Mm-hmm. One was uh, my sister, you know, had mm-hmm. a stillbirth, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. and processing that. And finally, after a few years mm-hmm. of like her first stillbirth, being able to come to a place like it's still pain, it's still pain, but having it process be pain, it will always be <laughs> that pain. will never be a good story. Yeah, it that will never will be never not be a sad thing to exactly. say or to feel. But I've been able to process it 
organize in ways to be able to give words to it, Mm -hmm. to what comes up around it, to what it has caused in my life and be able to allow something, you know, to work through that and do that. Mm -hmm. But then it's even funny, like in this past week, I was with my counselor and we brought up this other way that I was hurt by a sibling. And it's something I've talked about a lot. And Mm -hmm. that's why I was impacted by you saying we can talk about it, but not process it. Mm -hmm. Like I've talked about it a lot, but yeah, I got so angry for the rest of the day. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Okay. So there's a lot more. Good information. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, there's just so many emotions Mm. that I still can't place. Mm -hmm. I can't understand why they're coming up. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so there's, there is a lot of dirty pain Mm -hmm. in this situation. Um, But yet, yeah, it's. I, so much of that has just come from the initial acknowledgement that I can't get rid mm-hmm. of pain, mm-hmm. but being able to organize it. And a lot of it then comes through that listening of your story. Of Absolutely. Like, of being able to give words to it, of, of like, understand how it, how it reacts. Oh, there's just so much here. This is why. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm trying to find a Brene Brown quote. Because I think it's appropriate and I can't do a podcast without talking about Brene. <laughs> um, we love Brene. We love her. When uh, it's when we deny our stories, they define us. When we own our stories, we get to write a brave new ending. Mm. There's one more. That's basically like we can stand outside and like hustle for our worthiness on the outside of our story. Or yeah. we could like be in it mm. and like be wholehearted in our story. Yeah. Which is more vulnerable to do that. It's more vulnerable to like really feel the twinge of pain every time you remember that your sister has suffered and your family has suffered through these stillbirth yeah. experiences. But um yeah. yeah. But it's worse to stay on the outside of it mm-hmm. in a way, you know. Yeah, it is. It's just I think that there is this way of being able to process pain that yeah, allows like the holistic understanding of yourself to come back together. Yeah. Um, and being able to live more embodied in understanding yourself Mm -hmm. or myself, like in that way, that's even just been something I've loved as we've done at church about just the fact of understanding yourself within your body Mm -hmm. and all of that. And this is something, and I want to say this to like acknowledge the fact, like for all of our trans listeners, this is something I've been trying to process of what Mm -hmm. does this mean for the trans experience, living Mm -hmm. an embodied life of being able to feel yourself in that. And I don't have answers for that. And I hope that's something we can explore more Mm -hmm. on the podcast. So I'm acknowledging that what I'm talking about is a cisgender experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So just throwing that out there of acknowledging that. Mm -hmm. But um, it has been really helpful for me Mm -hmm. as a cisgender person to really be able to connect in that understanding of the pain and my body. Yes of that Mm -hmm. and where that connects um, and being able to feel that even just in breathing in all of this stuff Mm. and being so helpful in that pain. Yeah. I mean, Uh, (laughs) it's just so good. uh, Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, there's so, there's so much here. We could talk Mm -hmm. for, I could talk to you for hours. Um, There is one more question Mm -hmm. I have for you. Mm -hmm. We're asking all of our guests this. You pick an age mm-hmm. of your earlier self. Mm-hmm. Um, share with us what age, but then what is a message you would send to yourself at that earlier age? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Something around 26, 27, 28, maybe. This was the time when 
sweet Sarah Claire was like waking up to more of the reality of life versus the fantasy that she was told. Mm -hmm. I'm still doing that actually, but um, I would maybe want to tell her something like, it doesn't have to look the way you were told it was going to look for it to be good. Mm. That makes me emotional saying that, but I think there is something when you, you know, I was very much just told that there was one path and that was the way it was going to be. And if God loved you and if you were a good Christian girl or if you were faithful in whatever ways, then like things would happen. Certain things would happen for me. (laughs) And, um, like that, like it's life so much more interesting than that and the way that it unfolds. Um, and I think I would want to tell her like, she's more like you are more colorful than you even know. You know, mm-hmm. you're more yeah. complex than you have any idea. Yeah. <laughs> Please go to therapy now. I think I did start going to therapy around that age just because I was so overcome with my own confusion of myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, why am I so sad and anxious? I didn't even know I was anxious. My therapist had to tell me, oh, you have anxiety. And I was like, what? I cry every day. But like, I didn't know that that's what, it, you know, I just really didn't know myself yeah. very well, even though I thought I did. But I knew a lot about I knew a lot about myself, but I don't think I knew myself. So I would, that's a lot to say, but I would maybe tell her like, it's all going to be really interesting from here. And like, that's okay. It's not bad that it's nonlinear mm. or it's, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. for that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yes. And honesty. Yeah. Thank you I love for you. having me. I love you so much. <laughs> I'm so grateful. And I love all of you out there in this world. Yes. Thanks for listening. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is there, if if anyone wants to follow you, yeah. is where, how can they find you? Um, my, I have uh, Instagram. It's SC counseling. I think it's SC underscore counseling underscore. Oh, I don't even know. It's so bad. One day I'm going to get better at marketing myself. Um, but yeah, SC counseling is my counseling practice. And then um, a lot of things that go on within Providencia, um, you know, are part of my heartbeat as well. So I would include that Providencia yeah. West Palm Beach um, as a little spiritual community that's trying to honor these type of things and trying to mm-hmm. lead from this space. Um, mm-hmm. So those are two Absolutely. ways. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, everyone, I'll uh, include those um, handles in our show notes. Um, would love to hear from you guys. Patrons, share with us in our Discord channel, like, what you thought of this, how this connects, what this... If you've already done work in listening mm-hmm. to your story, would love whatever you're up for sharing, as well as on Twitter, um, share with us or on social media. We'd love to hear what you thought, um, what stood out to you from this episode, and just the amazing things that you learned from Sarah Claire. Mm. So I love you so much. Love you. And thank you all listeners. Appreciate you all. And we will talk to you soon. Bye everyone.